This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, September 27th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. For criminal justice reform at the federal level, the First Step Act was solid but not comprehensive, according to John Malcolm, a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. He's less confident that 2019 will prove a better year for criminal justice reform than 2018 did. We talked about what might be coming next for reform and what states are doing on that front as well. We spoke last week. You've noted, and it's almost required to note this, uh, of the First Step Act, the uh, criminal justice reform, uh, both the most significant in many years and also a pretty small bite at the apple uh, with respect to criminal justice. But what's next? In your view, what should follow uh, the First Step Act? Well, I'm not so sure I would agree with your characterization of the First Step Act as a small bite at the uh, apple, but it is certainly not a comprehensive <laughs> bite uh, at the apple. Uh, there are a lot of things being discussed. It's going to be very, very hard to get anything done, of course, during a very contentious election year uh, and a divided Congress. It, a lot of pieces had to come together for the First Step Act to pass the, you know, Reformers have been trying to get that passed for years. So one thing that's under consideration is that a House uh, committee has passed the Fair Chance Act. It may have even been voted on by the whole House. hasn't gone to the Senate yet. That is a modest measure uh, that would apply only to federal government employees and federal government contractors, and it would uh, ban the box uh, for people applying for government jobs or for people working for federal contractors with certain exceptions for uh, positions that involve law enforcement or access to classified information or that are specifically designated by the head of the Office of Personnel Management in the Department of Defense. Um, so there's that. There's some discussion going on about reopening the Pell Grant program for uh, for inmates. And of course, there's a lot of implementation that still needs to take place with respect to the First Step Act. Uh, and so that is all going on now. And people will be studying, of course, to see how, uh, you know, what the results of that are. So you wrote uh, with uh, co-author Brett Tolman is uh, a founder of the Tolman Group, former U.S. attorney for Utah, uh, that banned the box. There's a lot of nuance here that that ought to be appreciated. As you mentioned, the uh, Fair Chance Act, as it is is known, would ban the box effectively for the federal government and those who are seeking to be federal contractors. Uh, why do you think that shouldn't be expanded? Well, <laughs> to begin with, I'm not a huge fan of uh, any restrictions that are placed on on private uh, employers. Uh, so in this case, federal government can do what it wants with its own employees. It already takes me a little bit outside my comfort zone uh, to require a ban-the-box policy uh, for private employers who are government contractors. Uh, I would feel very uncomfortable imposing a ban-the-box requirement on private employees or employers who are not government contractors. I would note, though, that there are some states that have already done that, and some states have even gone so far as to impose criminal penalties for people who violate that ban-the-box uh, process. Look, ban-the-box is somewhat 
controversial. It has a, it's certainly very well intentioned. It's designed to get people who have a criminal record, to get them a foot in the door and to give them an opportunity to impress a would-be employer. And if a would-be employer is sufficiently impressed to make a conditional offer to that individual, the hope is that when the employer finds out that that individual has a criminal record, that rather than immediately rescinding the offer and having that be that, uh, to invite that person back in perhaps to have a conversation about that criminal record and about whether the person has turned over a new leaf, what the circumstances of the underlying offense might have been, uh, and to give that person a chance to say, look, you were impressed with me before you found out I have a criminal record. Take a chance on me. And the hope is that a number of employers will do that. Ban the Box is somewhat controversial. There are a lot of very major companies that are using Ban the Box very successfully on a volunteer basis. There are some studies out there suggesting that Ban the Box can have a very, very positive impact on people with a criminal record who apply for jobs, particularly in high crime uh, areas. But uh, you know, I would hasten to add there are some studies that suggest that ban-the-box procedures could be, in fact, counterproductive to minority applicants who do not have a criminal record. The reason being that if a would-be employer can't ask somebody about a criminal record, that they are going to resort to pernicious stereotypes and just assume that if somebody is black or Hispanic, that the odds are higher that they are going to have a criminal record and so they will not advance them to the next stage, even though a lot of those minority applicants may, in fact, not have a criminal record. So this is a, a controversial area, requires to you know, proceed carefully and study the results of all of this. But I recognize that for people with a criminal record, formerly incarcerated individuals to get a job, they are starting with two strikes behind them uh, and a rather intimidating pitcher on the mound. And it's it, it's difficult for them. Uh, but if people are released and they're not given an opportunity for gainful employment, you know, the odds are extremely high that they will eventually recidivate. And that har harms everybody. It harms them, their families, and of course, public safety. Yeah, I was about to ask what you saw as the incentive effects of a, uh, a ban the box as a state uh, policy that carries some criminal penalties with it. Obviously, it's possible to find out if anyone has a criminal record. The box on the form doesn't necessarily change the situation for a potential employee. Well, you're right that there's a lot of stuff out there on the web and it's hard to prevent people from, from searching. Uh, but that is what it's designed to do, is it's designed to not have you make those inquiries and to have penalties of various sorts imposed if, you, if they discover that you did, in fact, make such an inquiry. So the Fair Chance Act uh, starts with uh, a reprimand and it has graduating penalties up to and including being ineligible uh, to become a federal contractor. Contractor, or if it's a federal employer to you know, be terminated, uh, it does not go so far, thankfully, as some states have gone by actually having a criminal sanction uh, imposed for violating ban the box policies. Okay. So going forward, uh, you said that this, th this next year, there may not be a lot going on uh, with respect to uh, criminal justice reform. This does seem like an issue where... Um, uh, the president has an, an interest in in signing legislation that would uh, look like this. Is there anything besides uh, the Fair Chance Act, as you noted, that that you believe ought to be on the table in the next year or so? 
Well, there's a lot that I think ought to be uh, on uh, on the table. Whether it will be on the table or not, I don't know. I, I want to make one slight correction, which is I don't think that the odds of anything getting done at the federal level are very good. Uh, but that is not going to stop the states from continuing their reform efforts, which have been robust. In fact, Congress led from behind, if you will, in terms of passing the First Step Act. I mean, it is important to remember that as important a precedent as the federal government sets in terms of sending signals about what's appropriate and inappropriate in terms of giving people a second chance and, and protecting public safety. The vast majority of people uh, involved in the criminal justice system are involved in the state system. And so these robust efforts that are going to continue, even though it is an election year at the state level, uh, hold great promise. What are some of the uh, reforms that you've seen at the state level that are most promising? Oh, there's been a whole uh, panoply, uh, some having to do with record expungement, uh, some having to do with mens rea uh, reform. There are some states that are setting up commissions to take a comprehensive look at their uh, at their criminal code to see whether all of these laws really are necessary. There have been all kinds of changes to uh, bail practices, for instance, and fines and fees and the impact uh, that that has on, on poor people who are, are trying to uh, you know, reestablish themselves in their communities. There are consideration to restoring rights to people, uh, certainly uh, voter, you know, felony reenfranchisement rights, but also other kinds of rights being restored uh, to people who have been uh, incarcerated. And then there are other reforms that are taking place on quasi-criminal matters, most prominently, I would say, civil asset forfeiture. Uh, and then people are also starting to take a hard look, as they should, at the myriad of draconian collateral consequences that are imposed on people with a criminal record. So those are civil uh, impositions that are imposed on people with a criminal record. They're not considered to be punitive. They often take the form, obviously, in terms of things like not being able to possess a firearm or vote, uh, but most often in terms of restricting people in terms of their access to employment. Uh, increasingly, we live in a regime where a lot of jobs require occupational licenses. And the low-hanging fruit for people trying to protect themselves against competition is to weed out people with a criminal record and prevent them from getting business licenses. And lots of states do this under the guise of protecting health, safety, and welfare of their citizens uh, when, in fact, there is scant evidence that some of these uh, restrictions enhance uh, safety and welfare issues. And it's a lot more about keeping out competition. Uh, this uh, you mentioned mens rea, and I remember uh, years ago that Ohio was a leader on reforming uh, mens rea. That is to say, requiring some sort of criminal intent in order to get a criminal conviction. Um, what have other states done? Well, the same kind of thing that Ohio did. It's not so much that they require uh, the state legislature to pass an intent element. Everybody recognizes that if, they, if a state legislature, or for that matter, Congress wants to pass a strict liability of criminal offense, they can. Uh, but what, it, what it, the mens rea standards would do is to say, if a piece of legislation is silent, either because it was a matter of compromise or sloppy legislative draftsmanship, uh, that there would be a default standard, which can vary from state to state. Uh, inserted into that criminal statute. What it basically does is it forces the state legislature to say up front, we really mean for this statute to carry a criminal penalty without 
a mens rea standard. And if and the this mere silence on the issue should not be taken uh, as a presumption that the legislature meant to pass a strict liability offense. At the state level and the federal level, it seems that uh, people who fancy themselves criminal justice reformers aren't interested in aren't necessarily interested in in immense rea reform being a particularly high priority is that true is that fair yeah no i think that is fair so when he was in the senate uh orrin hatch of utah was a champion of mens rea reform uh, the democrats for the most part, you know, at least at the federal level, perceive that this is a get out of jail free card to corporate fat cats and polluters and, and people who would create unsafe working conditions. So I would note, for instance, in, in the waning days of his administration, that President Obama actually wrote uh, a law review article in the Harvard Law Review, and I commend him for it, uh, talking about criminal justice reform. It's an excellent article, uh, although I don't agree with everything in it. His entire discussion of mens rea reform was relegated to one sentence in one footnote in which he essentially said that some people say that mens rea reform is a good idea, but I think it would it would frustrate progressive goals. And that was it. Uh, that was all he had to say about mens rea reform. But I, I, to me, this is not about frustrating progressive goals or letting out of jail corporate fat cats. It's really a matter of fundamental fairness and saying, look, we have a civil justice system, an administrative justice system. You can impose penalties, high, you know, serious fines. You can bar people from industries. Uh, but if you're going to label somebody a criminal and all of the attendant effects that go along with that, it ought to be really, really serious and involve somebody either creating, uh, either engaging in conduct that is inherently morally blameworthy or with some knowledge that what they are doing is against the law. And you've got to count the value of that jail cell relative to what that person has done. Yeah, no, that is, that is certainly true. John Malcolm is a vice president at the Heritage Foundation. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 